there is a searing pain in the right side of my chest. It takes my breath away. But after a minute or two, it passes. Is this a pulmonary embolism like my colleague just had? I silently ask myself. Is it safe for me to fly home tomorrow from this management meeting in Stockholm where I'm sitting at the table? Is it safe to admit in this meeting that I might need to go to the ER right now? Is it safe not to? I'm Art Blanchford, and this is Life in Transition, a podcast about making the most of the changes we're given. As a married father of three teenagers, a longtime global business executive and adventurer, I've been through hundreds of transitions in my life. Many have been difficult, but all have led to a depth and richness I could never have imagined. You'll get to hear all about them on this podcast so that together we can create more love and joy in our lives, no matter what transitions we are going through. Wow. Where to start on this one? Let's focus on the transition at midlife and how trauma informed it. Most importantly, how we can't behave differently, no matter how much we want to, until that trauma is healed. And how to heal it. This is definitely true for me. In this episode, we're going to talk about the transition down the mountain, down the first mountain, as David Brooks writes about in his book, The Second Mountain. I was at the top of the first mountain. I had it all. All the things that I thought I should have to have the perfect life. I had been president of a 10,000 person, $1.5 billion company, and was now a top executive running North America, China, and Korea in an auto tech company that we had just spun out of the bigger company. I was there at the bell ringing on Wall Street when we launched the company. I was making close to seven figures, had three kids, a wonderful marriage, a big, beautiful home in Brentwood, Tennessee, a convertible BMW. I was an endurance athlete, regular meditator, and a member of a close-knit men's group and church. I was even a Boy Scout leader and very close to my extended family. On the outside, everything looked perfect. But I was breaking down on the inside and just didn't know it yet. I was so focused and driven that I couldn't even feel when I was exhausted. I was wrestling with my boss over the direction of the company constantly. It was clear that I didn't have a vote, but in fact, I was being gaslit and my health was fading fast, though I didn't see it yet. I didn't even let myself consider it. Looking back, my body had given me signs, which I just wrote off to jet lag or normal aging. The first was a loss of libido. The doctor told me it was normal and gave me a prescription. There were also many times when I would come home from long trips or for Christmas and would be sick in bed for several days. Being sick was the only way I would give myself permission to rest more than a normal night's sleep, which at this time was only four to seven hours a night. I was traveling around the world frequently, 
with some travel three weeks out of every month, at least one being intercontinental, often two. To maximize my time at home, I would make the trips as short as possible, meaning spending as many nights on the plane as possible. For example, a normal trip to Asia would be leaving my home after dinner on Sunday night, flying to LAX, boarding a 1 a.m. flight to China, landing at 5 a.m. on Tuesday morning in some remote Chinese city, working in China that day and maybe the next, and then flying to Korea or Japan for a day before taking a 1 a.m. flight back home on Saturday morning, Friday night. Getting home Friday night for dinner and then having a long run on Saturday with my friends. This was just a normal trip. Sometimes I would work right through the nights in Asia because there were so many meetings in the U.S. time and I just couldn't turn it off. On one of those trips, when I just landed in Shanghai, got into my hotel about 6 a.m. and was out for a run by 6.30, I couldn't run. My body simply wouldn't work. I couldn't explain it. I even called my wife and said, I can't run. I can only walk. She was concerned, but I wasn't. I just dismissed it walked, and went about my normal schedule. A year later, as I opened the episode with, I started having chest pains. It was a tightness in the right side of my chest that would last for a few seconds in the beginning. It happened once or twice a day. But it gradually increased in frequency and intensity until it was happening intensely, every 15 minutes, by the time I was sitting in that top management meeting in Stockholm in 2019, November. A colleague of mine had recently suffered a pulmonary embolism while traveling back from Europe, and it was very serious. Flying with one can kill you. She described the sensation exactly as what I was feeling, so I did go to the ER. They called the cardiologist to come in, and I started to worry a little bit. It wasn't a pulmonary embolism, but I had such an unusual EKG signature that they were really concerned. It turns out it's a fairly normal one for endurance athletes, but they didn't expect to see that from a stressed guy in a suit. I went home and didn't travel internationally in December and felt better. But I was still very low on energy and no sex drive. I was right back at it in January with travel to the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas and internationally, even back to Asia in February of 2020 as COVID was starting to race through the world. I had one final trip to Boston in early March before all travel was canceled for the pandemic. But just a week later, my body collapsed completely. I was in bed for months and we couldn't figure out what was wrong. I would lie in bed and my whole body would ache so much it felt like the muscles were falling off the bones. When it got too painful to stay in bed, I would walk to the kitchen, which exhausted me, so I'd go back to bed. For more details on that, you can listen to episode one of this podcast. I was still totally afraid of losing my job and thinking that I would starve, so I was trying to work from bed. I remember having the news on in the TV bedroom. Not a good idea and saw the volunteers in hazmat suits were handing out food for those in need at the local stadium. 
right in the heart of the pandemic. It struck me like lightning from a blue sky. If I get fired for being sick, I won't starve, as I can go get food from the food bank. It sounds completely insane when I say it now. And it is, and that's where I was three years ago. Finally, I couldn't take another step and handed off my job to three others. I was at the end of my rope, and I finally let go, let God, and rested. And slowly, I started to heal. What led to the burnout? Of course, there was the physical aspect of simply going too hard for too long and pretending that jet lag and rest didn't matter. That was a big part of it. But it was also the stress I put on myself in my job. I wanted to control the outcome, and I thought it was about me. It isn't about me, and I can't control the outcome. Of course, I can influence it. I can do my part, but I can't control it. And when things happen, they aren't personal. When the CEO asks, What are we going to tell the market about long-term growth? That isn't about me. I always took it personally, thinking I wasn't doing enough, and this was his way of pointing it out. Really, he just wanted to know what to say to the market. I was so afraid of making mistakes that would get me fired, then I wouldn't be able to support my family. These stresses contributed to my burnout at least as much as the physical stress. I had been in therapy for a few years, working on my relationship with my oldest son and healing my own past. I didn't think I had any trauma, as all the violence and sexual abuse I had seen at a young age had happened to others, not to me. My therapist explained that when we see abuse of those we love and are helpless to do anything about it, and especially if we are not supported well afterward, it can be even more difficult than if the abuse was actually focused on us. I had never considered that. He said I was the only one in his 40-plus year career as a counselor that had so much trauma or had seen so much trauma and still done so well in life. When we were working on the scene from when Mark was beating my mom, it hit me like a ton of bricks. In my career, I was still pleasing the man, the cult leader, the authority, the CEO. That is part of what had made me good in business, but also makes me a perfect candidate for gaslighting. It was also killing me. It was time to leave. Underneath everything was the fear that I wouldn't be okay as a human being if I didn't perform perfectly, both at work and at home. That sounds very arrogant saying that now, but was also true. I thought I had to be perfect to be acceptable to others and even to myself. I was afraid that if I didn't perform outstandingly in all aspects of life, people would not like me. I would not be lovable or be loved. Somehow, I thought I was my work. Actually, I didn't think I was my profession or my job, but I was the results that I created from my work. This is a double stressor. Wanting to do things perfectly and wanting to control the outcome. Looking back now, I see there are three keys to preventing burnout. First, spiritual growth and healing. Second, setting good boundaries. And third is rest. Let's start with the healing. 
it is not healthy to think that I am my work. It's not healthy to feel like I have to be perfect or that I won't be loved if I don't perform in a certain way. These are things that must be healed spiritually. We must slow down, meditate, heal our fractured parts, and yes, our childhood trauma, as cliche as that sounds. Doing that work, even while still working if you can, will shift our focus and go a long way to preventing burnout. If we don't heal those, no matter what else we do, we are destined for some kind of burnout or breakdown. Or just having a very isolated and lonely life. There is no shortcut. We must do our work. And as it says in the documentary Stutz on Netflix, our work is never done. My work has included talk therapy, EMDR, guts work, men's group, medicine-assisted journeys and therapy, a wonderful spouse, coaches, silence retreats, meditation, internal family systems therapy, rest, and maybe most importantly, recovery in Workaholics Anonymous 12-step program. My 12-step recovery taught me how to really let go and let God, which has been an unbelievable transformation journey. It also taught me to pray, reflect, and journal daily. This is the cornerstone of my healing and ongoing recovery. I follow this process first thing every morning. If I'm going biking with my friends at 5.30, I'm doing this at 5 o'clock before I go out. So here's the process. First, prayer. My personal step one prayer, God grant me your peace and presence today that I may know that I'm enough in you and help me bring your joy, compassion, care, strength, discipline, and love to every moment you give me today. Then I pray the serenity prayer, then the step three prayer. And finally, I pray for all of my friends and family, I call my soul family, that they may all be happy, healthy, whole, and free and live the life of their dreams, including myself. Second, reflect on the previous day. I list one glitch. Where did I act out of resentment, anger, fear, selfishness, or impulsivity? Then I list four things that I did well. Where did I act out of compassion, courage, love, humility, or discipline in the last 24 hours? Then I recount five gratitudes. What do I feel grateful for right now that has happened in the last 24 hours? And if I don't feel it, which sometimes I don't, then I list five things anyway. Even if it's sort of cliche things, my health, this wonderful home that I'm in, the weather today, to remind myself how much I have to be grateful for. Finally, I list the times I felt completely loved, connected, and a deep sense of belonging. This comes from Brene Brown, but I love it. And this can be things like a hug from my wife, a great connection, where I was really seen in a business meeting, you know, having coffee with my daughter. Third, I do a feelings check-in. I sense my body and ask, what am I feeling right now? I try to narrow the answer to one of the core five emotions, though I don't always do. The core five emotions are joy, anger, sadness, fear, and shame. I then notice where I'm feeling in my body, and I describe it. I'm feeling anxiety, which is fear. 
and it's a tightness in my right jaw and neck. Then I asked what could be a really interesting question. When I first did it, I felt schizophrenic, but it works so effectively. Who is feeling the fear? This is where I realized after doing that for a while, it is internal family systems therapy developed by Richard Schwartz. It also blows me away as there are some wild voices there that come up from various members of this internal family. I have learned to always engage them with love and compassion, trusting their intention, even if their words can be vile sometimes, especially from the critic. I discuss with them their purpose, what they want, how old they are. I see them without trying to change them. I accept them. And there is almost always a shift when I get it that my fear is coming from Woods House Boy when I was six years old, and I'm not actually living that today. Once the conversation is complete, I ask myself, what am I feeling now? It's almost always peace or contentment, which are both forms of joy at that point. I love this process. For more details, you can see the link to IFS in the show notes, but I highly recommend it and I do it every day. Fourth in my process is planning the day ahead. The feeling check-in opens up a connection directly to my inner guidance, higher power God. I ask God, what do you want me to be today? And I listen for the answer. I want you to be present, productive, and strong. Okay. Whatever I do that day, this is the focus of my being. Finally, I ask God, what would you want me to do today? I stop right then and I add both be and do to my action plan list for the day. That process takes me five to 25 minutes, and I usually follow it with 10 minutes of meditation, but that can also come later in the day. I also read or listen to 15 minutes of wisdom literature every day and make some progress on my 12 steps. This journaling, prayer, meditation, 12 steps, and reading is my spiritual practice that keeps me centered and growing. Next is setting boundaries. And it follows spiritual growth because it is much harder to set and keep boundaries if you're still codependent with work or someone at work. Those must be healed to be effective at setting and keeping boundaries. And it's up to you to set boundaries. As I said before, companies are about more. More earnings, more productivity, more sales, more. And they will always ask for more from you. You must draw the line. You must decide when you're not going to work, what time of day, weekends, vacations, during family dinners, holidays. You must decide when you will sleep, how much. You must find the boundaries that work for you and then have the courage to stick with them. You must also decide the values of the environment that you're in and if they are good for you. In order to be long-term in a job, your values have to line up with the values you're working in. If they don't, find a new job. If you violate your values by working in an environment that you know, encourages behavior that you don't align with, you will eventually burn out. Set boundaries and keep them. Setting and keeping these boundaries will make you feel human again. It will strengthen your most important relationships 
and it will even make you more effective at your work, especially in the long term. Remember that boundaries are also written in chalk, not carved in granite. Set it for now and see how it works and adjust if needed. Finally, rest. None of this is possible if I'm fatigued. Rest is what makes everything else possible and enjoyable. When I am tired, I'm not effective in my work, and I even become mean to those I love. Rest is the cornerstone. For me, it comes in fractals. First is the seven and a half hours of sleep each night or napping to make up the difference. Second is if I'm tired, I lie down and close my eyes for 10 minutes. Even that little amount can reset my energy completely. Third is a weekly Sabbath where I don't do any economic work or chores for 24 hours. Most often on Saturday dinner to Sunday dinner. I read, I sleep, I walk, I rest, I play games, enjoy meals with my family and connect with friends and extended family. Finally, I schedule a silent retreat once per year. Are you exhausted? Have you had health issues, especially ones that you're not paying attention to? How is your spirit? How is the quality of your sleep? Are you getting at least seven and a half hours each night? Do you feel good about what you're doing each day? Or do you hate more days in your job than you love? Do you feel fear more than you feel joy or excitement? If you do, develop a plan for spiritual growth. Arthur Brooks says it is this simple. Meditate, journal, and read wisdom literature 15 minutes each every day. And you won't recognize yourself in one year. This is the foundation for spiritual growth. Lean into your church and or your 12-step program and make sure it is a daily practice. If you don't have one that works for you, you can follow mine above if that helps. Set healthy boundaries. Take the time to make hard decisions. Policies about when you will work and when you won't. How you will prioritize your health and family and friendships and relationships. How you will engage in your community. Remember that companies won't set boundaries for you. And you'll be a better employee in person if you have healthy boundaries. And make sure you're getting good rest. At least seven and a half hours per night. And taking one rest day per week. These three are the foundation for preventing and healing from burnout. I can't wait to hear what action you are taking. Connect with me on LinkedIn or our website, lifeintransition.online, and let me know. Let a friend know too. It could be a huge encouragement to them and keep you on the track. Thank you so much for joining me today. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And it would mean a lot to me if you left a review and shared this episode with a friend. If you want to learn more about me and what I do when I'm not podcasting, please visit me at artblanchford.com. Thank you for listening. Together, let's make the most of life in transition.